Welcome to Redefine Ed, the podcast. We're bringing you a special interview in this episode in which former Florida Tax Credit Scholarship student Denisha Merriweather talks school choice and education politics with former Florida Governor Jeb Bush. Bush has recently announced that he's returning to his role as chairman of the Foundation for Excellence in Education. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Redefine, your home for news about parental school choice and education reform. My name is Denisha, former tax credit scholarship recipient. I'm here with Governor Jeb Bush, uh, former governor of Florida, and just finished traveling across the country on campaign trail and is going back to XLS. So congratulations. Thank you, Denisha. It's great being with you. Yes. Welcome to my little office. I know. Thank you for having me. And so what did you learn while traveling the country that applies to educational advocacy? You know, I was frustrated because I ran for president, and conservatives don't want the federal government involved in education, and a lot of people are concerned about reform because there's too much testing, and there's a backlash to mm-hmm. to a lot of things, and, and so education never emerged as a significant issue. It's a national priority in my mind. It ought to be talked about in the presidential race. Yeah. doesn't mean the Department of Education needs to be the master school board. I don't believe that at all. But I do think it's important to assure the kids gain the power of knowledge, and too many don't. I talked a lot about school choice and high expectations and empowering parents, not bureaucracies. And that seemed to resonate. People seemed to like that. You were kind of the forerunner of bringing out your educational policy and your idea for the ESA where every state will have one. Parents will be able to customize their students' education from pre-K all the way up until 12th grade. And then, my favorite the loans, <laughs> eating, saving for college. So tell me about that. This was not a election cycle where policy seemed to matter, but mm-hmm. perhaps the most dramatic, provocative, some would say radical proposal for overhauling education, we laid out an agenda that shifted all of the power away from bureaucrats at every level, Washington, state, local school yeah. boards, and shift them to parents. Mm-hmm. And low-income parents would be given, like the Title I money that goes to disadvantaged schools, low-income low um, schools, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. If, if a state wanted to, instead of giving it to the school system, wanted to give it to parents, they could build up through an education savings account their money, and they could spend it on a private school for yeah. high school, or they could go online and, and take a more advanced course, or they could save it for college. Empowering people rather than government is really, I think, what we need to do in the 21st century. The world now, we have so much ability to control our own lives, our own destinies. And America does that better than getting in line. So the proposal, pre-K to life, basically, where you're empowered to make choices for yourself and where the systems have to compete for your parents' money or your own money, and I think that will help, too, with, like, financial literacy from an early age all the way up to because you're handling your own savings account. Yeah, and you're, the government doesn't trust, pe- particularly people living in poverty, near at the poverty level. For some reason, they think mm-hmm. that they're stupid. Yeah. They're just poor. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. The idea that somehow you can't, like, uh, treat people with respect and, and have them be the ultimate decider. Sure, look, you, there's always, you don't, you don't want rip-off artists. You want to make sure that there's a high standard, that, but why not trust people to make decisions? And I think it ought to start as early as possible, as you say. So 
you know, starting from four years old all the way through, we get a much better outcome if we do that. Yeah. So you kind of talked about people that say low-income parents are not capable of, you know, yeah. making choices for their for their kids. What do you say about that? And do you think that we can do something to better educate our parents on choosing the right schools for their kids? Oh, absolutely. There ought to be a report card for every school that has any government money directly or indirectly going to it. Mm-hmm. And the report card ought to be easy to understand. It ought to be customized for the student. I mean, this this is not rocket science. Think about every uh, any any detailed anything you get, any service you have. The because of automation, because of computers, you can basically yeah. provide easy to understand information mm-hmm. that's totally customized. So imagine a imagine a system where in the summertime a parent would be given here are the options that you have. You can go to a Christian school, you can go to a not-for-profit private school that's not religious-based, you can go to a charter school, you can go to a neighborhood school, you can go to a magnet school, you can go to you-name-it school. Yeah. Here are the choices. Here are Here's how the schools rank. This is what they do. This is how they do in terms of student outcome. And along with that, you would get a report. You're, as a mom or a dad, you get a report of your child, and it, and in that it would come and say, "Look, your child uh, is a great reader, but you need to work this summer on helping helping her with math yeah. or science, the ability to stay on task. All of these things, like a consumer reports, basically mm-hmm. to get the information of what the quality of the op- you know the options are and what your what your child needs to do to improve so that you're engaged. That information is not available for most parents, particularly low-income parents. Yeah. But if they had it, they'd make the right choice for their kids all the time. Mm-hmm. I trust a parent, irrespective of the level of income, over over a you know a massive school district. Mm-hmm. Why? It's not that the people inside the school systems are bad, but they're not the parent. They're not the mom. I mean, it's just logical that a mom's going to love their child with their heart and soul and is going to be much more interested in customizing the learning experience. We should already be doing this. This is 2016 for crying out loud. This is not 1916. We have the tools to do this. The system resists it because there's a lot of economic interest at stake. So, and I have... I had the tax credit scholarship growing yeah. up, and so my godmother was really able to invest in my education, and I... Thank God she did. Yeah, and I, like you said, I don't think she lacked anything mentally to choose the best option for me. Right. You know, she wanted the best for me, and in terms of funding, if I went to a public school, I would have gotten more money um, to sit in a classroom, um, but on the tax credit scholarship, those students get less, so... Does it make sense in terms of funding equity that students that get the tax credit scholarship get less money? I look. I mean, I'm now 63 years old, so I'm getting up there, up there, and I'm frustrated because I've been in this fight for a long time. So I think about what it should be, what it should look like, rather than what it does look like. Mm-hmm. And what it should look like is that the government should have the duty of creating real accountability high expectations, and then let a thousand flowers bloom. Yeah. Basically, we, we live in a world where children are so diverse, their backgrounds are diverse, the, uh, they learn in different ways. Some parents believe in a faith-driven kind of education, others don't. They should be empowered to make these choices. If we were starting from scratch, we wouldn't have 13,100-plus government-run monopolies mm-hmm. deciding the fate of millions of 
students that are the most diverse ever in American history. Yeah. So, yeah, I, w I would think in a perfect world, and that's what we should strive to move towards. You'll never be perfect, but it could be a lot better than it is now. You have equity. You have uh, ample choices. There'd be ample information. Parents would be empowered to make the choice that's best for them, uh, best for their child. They would do it empowered with the same amount of money that every child should get. That Moving towards that is what we need to do. And so you're right, the, the per-student funding for traditional public schools is higher than it is for charter schools and a lot higher than the corporate tax scholarship program. When we started the corporate tax scholarship program, now I feel like I'm, I sound like an old fuddy-duddy. It was a while back. People said that was taking money away from mm -hmm. public schools. Mm -hmm. No, no, not at all. It's giving parents options they didn't have at a lower cost than what the traditional public schools had. So if a student leaves the public school system mm -hmm. and takes Their the equivalent of the money with them, whether it's an ESA or the, you know, the equivalent of a corporate tax scholarship amount, that's saving the taxpayers money. Mm -hmm. That's not costing the taxpayers money. And we've proven that now with 80,000 kids. It's it's an extraordinary success. Yeah. People want more of it and uh, we should give them more. Back to the ESA, you started talking about funding. So where would that money come from for an ESA? And I know it doesn't come from public school funding. So how do we convince people? Well, think of it as instead of a stream of money going to 67 school districts in okay. Florida, it would go to, to parents, to families, mm -hmm. or a portion of it would. And they would make the choice. Many would go to a public school, mm -hmm. as they do today. But the fact they have the power to make that choice improves all schools. So that system would require a, a change. It would be a radical change, but a change in how we fund. Education. If you start with the premise that this is about educating children and families are the most important uh, political jurisdiction for a child, you know, be nerdy about it, then you, the money would follow the child, not the school system. Mm -hmm. There'd be all sorts of folks wringing their hands and sweating and going nuts about it. Uh, yeah. Maybe you phase it in. Uh, Nevada just did this, yeah. and that's in its first year of implementation. Of course, the unions are suing, and everybody's up in arms. Mm -hmm. But the world won't come to an end, I promise you. Uh, schools will get better. They'll have to compete for the students. Mm -hmm. Everybody will get better. Mm -hmm. Student learning will rise. Public schools will, will, uh, will improve. They have, they have many things that private schools don't have, and so they, that competitive advantage they'll, they'll exploit mm -hmm. in order to maintain the, the number of students. And if they don't, so what? Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's about educating Students, it's not about maintaining monopolies. That's not what this is about. I believe this in my heart. I believe it to be true. I believe we can move to a better system, mm -hmm. and millions of students will be better off if we did. Yeah. I know you care so much about education. Do you have your hands dangled mm -hmm. into the systems to try to implement this in Florida? You know, we're trying to, the Foundation for Excellence in Education is working across the country to identify places that would be uh, bigger and bolder about this. And so we do fight for it, ESA legislation across the country. Florida has taken some mini-me steps, and that's good. Yeah. Nevada is probably the place with the boldest proposal. But Arizona and other places are looking at it as well, and that's one of our highest priorities. It could, it could be that a school district, maybe there'll be a bold 
school board with a superintendent that would be willing to try something different. Mm -hmm. Douglas County in Colorado has tried that. Their, their um, reforms which are pretty provocative, some of which are in the courts right now, and one was ruled unconstitutional, but they're, they're prepared to empower families and parents to make choices. Awesome. They're prepared to take kids from Denver. They're in the suburban part of, um, mm -hmm. of the Denver metropolitan area. They would take inner city kids mm -hmm. if, you know, they're, they're more than happy to compete for the dollars and for the students. Mm -hmm. So we need more school districts like that, and I think they're out there. Education is kind of deep and passionate for me because I'm really an example of the voucher program that yeah. you, you know, implemented here in Florida. But why is it so important to you? Why do you, how do you, where does it come from, your passion for education? Oh, you know what? Uh, in 1998, I ran for governor, and I decided to myself, I looked at myself in the mirror and said, I don't want to run a typical campaign where you you speak to the choir, you know, or preach to the choir, and then you go raise money, and that's all you do. You never get challenged. You never learn. You never grow. So I decided, um, and I told everybody, I'm going to go visit 100 schools. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed it so much, mm -hmm. I got through them too quick. So I decided I was going to go visit 200 schools, mm -hmm. and I got through it too quick. And then I ended up with 260 schools. Like, I'm a, I was a candidate, so the principal would see me coming, and sometimes they wouldn't even let me in. But when they did let me in, okay. sometimes they'd say, well, we're going to go to the AP English class. Yeah. So you get, like, the 15 kids, brilliant, smart, great teacher. I, I went to one school here in, in, in Miami, and they, they tried to guide me to get to the best and the yeah, brightest yeah, students. Yeah. So I was in this classroom, in this next-door class, broke out into a massive rumble. I mean, chairs were flying. Some guy was thrown against the wall. So I said, i got to go see what's going on in there. And they were fighting. Oh, wow. You know, so you can't hide this stuff. You go to 250 schools, you hear the, you see the frustrations of teachers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you. I sat in the teachers' lounges. They, they you know, they thought I had horns because I was for vouchers. Yeah. Uh, I learned a lot from them. They're not the problem. It's the system that's not working. Yeah. Anyway, when you... You see the potential, and you see the frustration, and you see the fact that so many kids are left behind. If you don't have any sense of frustration about that, and mm -hmm. anger, and emotion, and mm -hmm. um, and then also see the extraordinary success that can happen as well, and how parents really want the best for their kids, yeah. it just it was a big motivator for me. Yeah, there's my mom. She says, "If you know better, you'll do better," and I think education is that that know and do once you know I was able to learn a little bit more yeah. I'm able to like now help my family and you know give them a passion to say like education is really the gateway to break this cycle of poverty and you visited so many schools you've been involved um, you have that first-hand experience the the hands-on what do you, do you think that politicians or politics today are missing that yeah absolutely. And what, do you, what do you think they'll learn from Going into know. the classroom. You know, what I, I called it wandering around. Mm -hmm. You know, if you start with the premise you don't have all the answers, then you go seek out the answers. And that's where joy comes from. For me, it's, as I said, campaigning without purpose is, would, would have driven me nuts. So I didn't do just that, by the way. I went to courtrooms. I was interested in the child welfare system because at that time, I mean, it's still struggles but it was it was broken completely yeah so i went to 
to dependency court and sat for six hours wow. up on the next to a judge. Yeah. I learned so much. I mean, how do you how can you lead if you don't learn? There's no benefits like political short term benefits from doing that, but over the long haul, it matters. So the first step is listening. And then you learn, you get insights. You know, it doesn't. It's not a violation of your principle by listening to other people that may not agree with you. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it's leadership. And so um, I learned that when I was a candidate, and more importantly, when I was governor. I went the first the first school that got a voucher, uh, first statewide voucher program was ruled unconstitutional. It's called an Opportunity mm-hmm. Scholarship Program. Day one, schools open. This public school that uh, was graded F. They, they had a voucher. Mm-hmm. Their parents could go to a, to a private school. So I went to the public school. Mm-hmm. The principal was so mad at me. And I went to show my solidarity to encourage them because they could do better. They didn't have to be an F. Mm-hmm. She, was, she was really angry at me and uh, hostile. Clearly didn't vote for me, didn't like anything about me. <laughs> it was pretty, yeah. pretty uncomfortable. So she said, look, it's unfair. You're treating us the same way you would treat the school in the fancy part of Pensacola. It's not fair. I okay. said, well, it's not fair for the students. What do you mean? No, it's not fair because it's their family's condition that makes it hard. We have a real hard time here. And I said, I recognize that. Mm-hmm. But shouldn't these kids get the same education as the schools in Santa Rosa County next door? And she just could not get beyond the fact that children in her neighborhood were, were different. And so she said, for example, the kids won't show up for the first two weeks. There'll be 20% of our student population won't show up. Parents just don't want them to go to school. I said, come on, you're kidding me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they just don't show up. I said, well, let's go get them. Mm-hmm. So me, this principal, and the FDLE, we went and knocked on the doors of 10 different wow. houses, as I recall. It might have been, might have been less, might have been more. Wow. Saying, what are you doing? School started. Yeah, yeah. Get your kid to school. Wow. I, I, th- I still think she wasn't happy. She didn't like me, and and uh, but I respected her for the struggle that she had. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned again. I learned mm-hmm. that it is hard, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you can't excuse away mm-hmm. why kids would be trapped in a failing school mm-hmm. by the fact that it's hard for the teachers and the principals. Mm-hmm. There were parent parents that did decide they could go to a Catholic school or a or a private school, and uh, that decision they should have that power. They should have that right. Yeah. And they did. And that school, I imagine, got better over time because there was a choice that parents were given. I personally don't align with any major political party, and I feel like many young people my age probably feel yeah. the same You're way. In the majority. And with national politics becoming a little messy, uh, <laughs> just a little bit, how do we keep you education noticed? from, I know, right? How do we keep education from being sucked into that vortex yeah. and giving young people a passion for educational policy and politics? And I'm a Catholic, and in one of the doctrines of the Catholic faith is a concept called subsidiarity, okay. which is the best place to solve problems is the closest to a family and to a community. Mm-hmm. So it's a bottoms-up approach. Yeah. That's the way life works best in America. And certainly, just from a question of faith, if you see someone hungry, the first impulse isn't shouldn't be, let's create a government program in Washington to deal with it. Because by the time you get all that stuff and the rules and the blah, 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 the, the person starved to death. Mm-hmm. So if you see someone homeless or hungry, you act on your consciousness. If it's important to you, you act on it. Mm-hmm. That's the sign of acting on your faith. Well, in schools, we have, I think, the same thing. 
in order for education to be across all of the ideological barriers, it ought to be bottom-up driven. Yeah. It ought to be empowered, empowered by families. Don't you think that there should be a left-right coalition for reform uh, when you're empowering lower-income families? I mean, I don't, I don't know why that has to be a Democrat issue or Republican issue, mm -hmm. but we've lost that. Mm -hmm. there's, uh, there's a left-right coalition against reform, against school choice, which is weird. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know, it's, it, it's based on the accountability. It's too tough. There's too much testing, all that stuff. So there needs to be a left-right coalition that's not political. You know, I'm a conservative. There's a lot of people on the, on the left that I agree with on this subject of school choice. Why should we fight about the 90% of the things we might not agree on? Let's focus on the things that we do agree on. And national politics doesn't allow that to happen right now. You have to be, you have two armed camps throwing mustard gas at each other. And when there's agreement, God forbid, it's a sign of weakness to actually make that point. And that's got to change. Democracy doesn't work that way. I actually think young people who, who are less partisan have a different ideological framework. It's not that they're left or right, it's just different. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll embrace this idea of subsidiarity more, mm -hmm. of solving problems, of engagement. Embracing technology to do it, other ways to, to do things yeah. aren't tied to the status quo. Yeah. Whereas the traditional left-right orthodoxy is tied to the past, mm -hmm. we need to break through.